Bowl season is just around the corner, and it's sure to be more difficult than ever to keep up with which players will be available and how injuries, opt-outs, and other personnel moves will impact performance on the field. At CFB Winning Edge, we do our best to stay on top of everything, which is why our player-based projection model has won 60.8% of bowl games against the spread all time. If you haven't yet, consider becoming a CFB Winning Edge Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge. And for as little as $5 per month, you'll get every bowl game projection this month. Welcome back, everybody. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on the Twitter at Bogman Sports. I'm joined, as always, by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on Twitter at CFB Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E on the Twitter. Guys, what's going on? You ready for the holidays and all that good stuff? Yeah, I was uh, just just telling you guys before we started recording about my uh, adventure, uh, potential felony because I sent a gift to my, uh, or, or, you know, purchased a gift for my wife online and, uh, I move a lot. And, and, uh, apparently when I originally, uh, put in my address for this particular place that I, uh, was ordering from it, it, uh, had a, an incorrect number. So I had to go out once I found the email that it had been delivered and, and uh, going around the neighborhood and, and looking for my package uh, 10 houses away, basically. So uh, it was a, it was an interesting morning, but but uh, secured the package, as they say, and uh, it's under the tree now. And so we're, we're pretty much set up for uh, for the holidays. How about you guys? I think you got a new team name for CFF. You can be the Porch Pirates. So oh, that, was, <laughs> that was great. That was awesome. Right, I got my name on it. Uh huh. Right. Uh, is that being steal anything off of any of your neighbor's porches, or how's not your holiday year. going? Uh, not this year. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, maybe I'll take Nick's tips for next year. Just walk up confidently. Uh, but no, uh, this year is great. I mean, this is the first year I can honestly say I bought Christmas presents for family members. Uh, you know, kind of the broke college student excuse wasn't around this year. Uh, so they were kind of expect the expectation had kind of risen at that point. So, yeah, now I've, I've, I've actually had to buy gifts, but I'm excited to see how, what their reaction is when, I, when they finally open them. I, uh, I, I, I all my Christmas is done, except for as soon as we're done, I'm going to the store to get some gift cards like I'm down to gift cards. Not to the and, gift cards. That's that's where I'm at. So and I'm I'm actually. I'm going to go to Walgreens that like they cost the same, no matter where you go. I don't want to go to the grocery store. So I'm going to go to Walgreens to get them. So there's less of a line. Hopefully I need one bag and a bunch of gift cards. That's it. So uh, we're, we're down to that. Everything else is done for me. So uh, very excited about that, but we had a conference championship week guys. And uh, you know, a lot of arguments were settled. So I'll just throw it to you, Nick. First, what did you see from, uh, conference championship week and what was the best game in your opinion? Well, I, I think the the best game or at least the one that, you know, had the, the biggest impact was Alabama and Florida. And, and uh, we mentioned last week how our numbers specifically just haven't really caught up with how good Alabama is. And, and so we were on Florida, you know, and, and and all of our three projection models expected Florida to to cover, which was not a good 
you know, had not been trending in the right direction for us. Alabama had covered what six in a row or something when when all three of our uh, projection models agreed. But but you know, Florida was able to keep it close. It was not necessarily in doubt the outcome. I, I feel like most of the game, uh, but you know, Alabama was able to to uh, score basically at will and and uh, was able to to slow down Florida just enough to survive, stay undefeated, keep that number one seed as they probably would have, I guess, anyway, maybe if not, but, but, you know, if not, Clemson was able to come back and uh, pretty handily uh, beat, beat Notre Dame. That one was uh, pretty impressive. And and that one we uh, did not quite get, we, we expected Notre Dame to be able to keep that one closer, but those were, you know, of course the big ones and, and became the, the number one, number two teams, Ohio state, I didn't feel like was ever in any real danger, but they were not uh, particularly impressive. And, and other than Trey Sermon, just running all over the place. I mean, Northwestern seemed to, to really decide, Hey, you know, Justin Fields is not going to beat us with his arm. And they, they did as much as they possibly could. Uh, to keep him in check and did a pretty good job. And, uh, you know, unfortunately for Northwestern, just weren't able to slow down the running game. But, uh, you know, Ohio State got the win, did what they uh, had to do to, to get into uh, the playoff. But, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting looking at the numbers. We don't talk a ton about playoff projections and who should be in and who should not. But the four teams that are in are the top four teams in our power rankings. And I think that might be the first time – that, that that's happened in the three years that we've done this. So I uh, thought that was interesting. And they're actually in that order. Number one, Alabama, number two, Clemson, number three, Ohio state, and, and then Notre Dame four, they were able to hold on uh, to that spot. So kind of interesting in, in how that played out. In, in my opinion, not a ton of surprises on the actual, you know, from the games themselves, but uh, seemed to work out for the most part as, as I think a lot of people expected, maybe not how they hoped or, or maybe not how they, uh, thought they should in some instances, but but I think of how they expect. Xavier, what, what did you see from conference title week, and and uh, do you think we got it right with the four teams in the playoffs here? Yeah, unfortunately, I think we did. You know, I, I really, <laughs> I really tried to make a, a good argument for Notre Dame not being in there, um, but we've already seen A and M Alabama, and we already know how that went. I don't think that gets any better. And I think at the end of the day, we have not seen Notre Dame, Alabama, although we probably know how that's going to go anyways. It still is a brand new game, a brand new matchup. And so I I don't think Notre Dame did anything to lose their spot. If they had given up another touchdown or two, maybe we could have that conversation of them dropping out of the top four. But, you know, a uh, 24-point loss to a Clemson team that, you know, this had Trevor Lawrence for the first time was, you know, really, you know, impressive from Clemson. I think what was more impressive about that game for me was how well the defense played uh, because – you know, we remember that Trevor Lawrence wasn't there in uh, when they played them the first time around, but the defense also gave up 47 points the first time around. This time, giving up a much more respectable 10 points uh, in, in the uh, in, in the finals, and they that defense is coming around. Nick alluded to it maybe like two or three weeks ago that that defense up front is finally getting healthy, uh, and kids are coming back from COVID protocol and things of that nature. And you saw the the, the healthy um, the healthiness of that team really bode well in that ball game. Uh, from the Florida Alabama game, probably the best game of the day. Uh, continuous back and forth the entire time. Uh, I never, you know, you really felt like Alabama had a a stronghold on the game at halftime, up thirty four. Was it thirty four thirteen at halftime? Something around that uh, range. Thirty five seventeen. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and so, you know, you really felt that Alabama had the game locked down. Florida comes back, 
touchdown stop, touchdown, and we had a ball game from the rest from, from the offset uh, of that second half. And it was really fun to watch two of the best quarterbacks in the country at the moment going back, going at it. Um, and a really just fun game came down to Florida having, you know, one last real hurrah at, at, at an opportunity to win that ball game, which I don't think anybody gave them. I surely didn't give them that up, kind of an opportunity. Uh, but we're a really good ball game. I, I think we were treated to a good ball game in the Pac-12 championship between Oregon and USC. You know, USC finally follow, uh, falling uh, for the first time. They can't get over the humps of their turnover troubles that they've had pretty much kind of off and on all season. Keaton Slovis, two touchdowns, three interceptions, just too much. Oregon's able to get it done with multiple quarterbacks, which I really like to see. That was cool, um, you know, through the air and on the ground. That was that was new. Um, but, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this weekend. Shout out to San Jose, San Jose State going undefeated, 7-0, beating Boise State, uh, getting their first title. Is that in school history? Uh, certainly in the Mountain West. I think, I think they right. might have won the whack uh, when, when, I think they when, when McCarthy was there. But Okay. I don't know. I can look that up, but but definitely the first Mountain West title. I know that for sure. Yeah, uh, you know, just you know, a quick some quick other ones. Cincinnati pulls it out. We That's said all, yeah, that was a great game, and we said all week that Tulsa doesn't go away. They never go away, you know. And they proved that during the game that no matter if, if you know Cincinnati going up twenty four to ten, they were like, we're good, we're good, we're still in this. Uh, and Tulsa fought back. Cincinnati obviously wins that at the end there. Oklahoma Iowa State was a great game in the second half. I thought. Uh, you know, you really saw Iowa State hunker down in that second half and make uh, Spencer Rattler beat them with some really good throws. He couldn't necessarily do it in, in Oklahoma. Kind of really held on for dear life there at the end uh, with Iowa State looking like they were going in the score before the Brock Purdy interception. Um, and then I think the least most interesting game was probably Ohio State Northwestern. Just because of how Ohio State did it, I mean, the second half just really was – just, they just continued to run the football. It was weird. Like, Northwestern wasn't putting anybody in the box. I was just I, – I couldn't get through my head how Northwestern was just having, like, four down linemen and one linebacker, and I was just like, it's a run. <laughs> <laughs> they ran it the last four times. What do you think they're going to do now? And, and Justin Fields threw, like, three passes all of the second half. Like, it was it was so odd from that standpoint that Northwestern was, like you said, Nick, was hell-bent on Justin Fields not throwing the ball so much so that they would put five in the box. And that would supposed to be enough to stop them. I, I don't know, but you know, kudos to Ohio, Ohio State on another conference title. Yeah, so conference titles in the books here. And uh, you know, before we talk about the bowl games that have happened, we've had a couple uh, get postponed. Uh, I believe only one. I know that Tennessee was out of their bowl, so Army stepped up. Which I love West Virginia versus Army, and mm -hmm. uh, I can't even remember which bowl that was. And the Gasparilla Bowl was canceled because South Carolina had too many COVID cases. I'm a little um, surprised. It, when, when is the Gasparilla Bowl? Can they not put another team in? Uh, it was it was supposed to be, I think, the 26th. So okay. Pretty, Saturday. pretty quick, yeah. Yeah, too uh, quick. So, I mean, saw, saw last night after BYU was uh, having their way with, with UCF that, you know, hey, BYU probably play again in, in, uh, in a week. Just yeah. uh, <laughs> go ahead and throw a second bowl game out there. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. I mean, the, the big one, you know, uh, Army, of course, being left out was was really unfortunate. The, the first go round, and then I think it was the Liberty Bowl uh, that they that they are now yeah. going to be in. So that that was good. Uh, you know, unfortunate uh, that UAB, a, a conference champion, is, is now going to uh, be sitting out. But, you know, I'm sure there are some players who uh, – and I think actually there, there were some players who, who took to, 
Twitter to, to say, hey, you know, we went out with a win and now we get to go home and, and uh, hang out. And I, I know that there are uh, plenty of people excited to play in these games. And Army was was very vocal about how they wanted to be in a game. But but I know uh, some teams and players and, and we have seen some some official opt outs, but even some of the teams that are playing, I think, are, you know, kind of ready for it maybe to, to be over. And I'm sure uh, happy for an opportunity if if possible to, to spend a little more time with family than they have been able to, uh, you know, the past few months. Uh, all right. So we've had some uh, coaching changes happen here. And the big one, uh, we'll just start with that, is Auburn. Um, you know, Tuesday night, they surprised a lot of us when uh, Brian Harson from Boise State was named the, the head coach. We've heard a bunch of rumors of a lot of different coaches uh, possibly turning Auburn down. Of course, Auburn does the bit, Nick, uh, of any team that's hiring a coach. This is the only guy we offered uh, to. This was the guy that we wanted all, all along and all of that stuff. So. Uh, not very believable, but they did get their guy in uh, Brian Harson here. So he'll be leaving Boise State and going to Auburn. Yeah, it was a it was a surprise to me for sure, and uh, I I don't believe that he was the you know top guy on the list, but I I feel like it might be somewhere. The truth might be somewhere in the, in between that and like oh you know ten people turned Auburn down. I mean, it, it sounds like certainly there were some. Uh, some some things going on in the background that made some coaches that may have been a little higher on the initial list, at least of some people. I mean, there, there's also some reporting that indicates that there are kind of warring factions going on, you know, behind the scenes there as well. But sounds like maybe some, some you know, top-tier candidates might have been scared off. Uh, but Brian Harson's you know, got a great track record of uh, – 69 and 19 career record, uh, multiple Mountain West championships, has, has done some really good things, not the most exciting offense. And it, you know, sounded like a lot of folks that were unhappy with Gus Malzahn were unhappy that the offense has taken such a step back uh, in, in recent years. But overall, you know, if, if uh, you're going to become kind of a, a little bit of a laughing stock for a little while for the way your coaching search is going and then land one of the best, if not the best, uh, G5 coaches at, at one of the premier programs uh, at that level, you know, you, you've done relatively well. So it's it kind of hit me completely unexpected. I was uh, walking around the neighborhood looking for a package the first time I heard the name was when Xavier texted <laughs> uh, something from, from Wikipedia and, and Brian Harson, and, and I at first didn't know what in the world he was talking about because I didn't even hear uh, Brian Harson's name connected to this at all, but uh, you know when you when the dust settled and you think, okay, Brian Harson, Boise State, going to Auburn, that makes a certain amount of sense based on his track record. Uh, so it, it looks like a you know decent uh, hire overall, but uh, one that was unexpected until you know 24 hours ago, as far as I was concerned. Uh, what do you think of this hire, Xavier? Is this uh... I, I guess how, how surprising is it to you, and do you think it's going to work? I think it's very surprising. Um, I think from let me get Brian Harson out the way. For Brian Harson, I think has deserved the job of this magnitude. Uh, this guy went won a championship in the Sun Belt, went to the Mountain West Conference, which is a step up, you know, for many people. Went and won three titles in five years. I, I, this, you know, he is a consummate professional. He's going to try his best to get the job done, and he's been a winner everywhere he's been as a head coach. And so his pedigree at the very least 
suggest that a, a job like this is not too big. However, he doesn't really have that many recruiting ties. His, his lack of, you know, SEC experience and his lack of experience in the South outside of his one year at Arkansas State lends you to think, well, how, you know, what kind of, kind of connections did he make in that one year? Are they enough for him to big in a, bring in a good enough recruiting class? As Nick said, he's not a big name. He doesn't have this pedigree tied to him, even though he's been a winner everywhere he's gone. So how will kids react to him being hired? Uh, you know, uh, I don't, from that aspect, I'm really confused about the hire. Uh, because obviously we know Auburn has struggled mightily on the recruiting trail, not just this year, but in the last year or so. And it really concerns me that that might be a trend over the next year while he's trying to kind of build his his, his program to an extent. Um, you know, uh, same similar situation that we, we're, we're kind of seeing at Florida State with Mike Norvell as he's not being able to recruit to the level of what Florida State should be recruiting at. Uh, and so that really concerns me. Uh, like I said, will it will it work? I think from I don't know what they will consider working. Does he, is it going to beat Bama? Probably not. If that's what your aspiration is as an Auburn booster or, you know, the Auburn AD, that's probably not going to happen. Maybe one off, but that's what typically happens under Miles on. If you, you know, if you're saying, is he going to go nine and three next year? Yeah, there's a possibility of that. Absolutely. I wouldn't throw that, you know, I wouldn't, you know, shun at that or, or scoff at that possibility happening. Uh, so it's all about what your perspective is on when, whether or not it'll work. I like the hire for him. I think it's a perfect step up for him. I think he deserved the job of this magnitude. But for Auburn, I'll be honest with you, this this seems weird from the outside looking in that so many coaches consistently, you know, turned you down. And, and the reason being was, you know, it seemed like the boosters and the AD aren't seeing eye to eye. And, and you know, I've got some people that I still remember or that I'm good friends with when I went to school in Alabama who have pretty good connections with the university uh, and those rumors seem to have, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire that these these boosters feel like they have a little bit more power than they, you know, than the AD does. And so they make the final decisions. And that's why some of these coaches with maybe checky uh, or spotty track records weren't getting in. Maybe they were asking they didn't want to pay certain coaches the money that they were asking for. So they went with uh, Brian Harson. So I don't I don't know. It, it just seems a little too. You know, the hiring seems a little too abrupt and too weird because we've never heard the name before. He was obviously hired. Yeah, it's definitely a weird name. Go ahead, Nick. Yeah, one, one uh, thing that I, I failed to mention, and I'm not the first to, to bring up this point, but when Xavier was talking about the recruiting, uh, yes, they, they, you know, it sounds like there was a lot of concern that Auburn had, had fallen behind, uh, uh, you know, in, in recruiting. But uh, they're never probably going to – be able to catch up to Alabama on the recruiting trail. And so it's uh, it's an interesting hire, Harson specifically, uh, because he does have a track record. I mean, they, they recruited well for the Mountain West, had a, a lot of classes that were highest ranked in, in the Mountain West. But uh, I think one thing that they've done even better than that is, is develop players and find some players that were really under the radar. So perhaps, you know, they, they should be able to recruit – to the, the average of what Auburn has been, I would think. I would think walking in with that polo, with the AU on it, you know, is, is going to do a lot of the work. But perhaps maybe something that Brian, that Brian Harson will be able to do better than Gus Malzahn potentially is, you know, find some guys at sort of that second or third tier that end up are able to develop 
are able to uh, kind of overachieve compared to their recruiting ranking and, and things like that. Because, you know, Boise State's put a lot of people in the NFL recently and, and a lot of guys uh, and, and, uh, some, you know, uh, were, were relatively high recruits, but plenty of guys that were uh, under the radar, three stars, you know, just kind of plucked out of of uh, kind of unexpe- unexpected spots that, that, that developed into uh, really, you know, high-level players as, as college players that are now uh, NFL players as well. So be interesting to see. Maybe they'll develop a little bit better. Maybe they'll be able to, to evaluate a little bit better, and that might help narrow the gap uh, there with recruiting. But, uh, it, you know, that that's just sort of, I guess, looking at the, at the bright side. Uh, because they probably are going to be at a, a recruiting disadvantage, at least compared to Alabama and compared to maybe uh, some others at the SEC as well. I will say, uh, go ahead. Oh, I will say the, and that's the biggest thing is that's the that is I think that's and if I'm an Auburn fan, this is what I'm looking for 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 Brian Harson is consistency. I think the thing with Malzahn is they would have a really good year, then they would drop. They'd have a really good year, then they would drop. And there was this lack of consistency between year to year um, when it came even to his recruiting classes. And, and as of right now, you see that because Malzahn has left Auburn with a 12th ranked recruiting class in the SEC. They're just above Vandy and South Carolina. And, and we know what both, of, what both of those teams have been through throughout this year. So those kind of things is what, I, what I've been looking for to answer, your, uh, to answer your question, Scott, about whether or not it will work. That's where, for me as an Auburn fan, it would work. If we can stay consistently 9-3 and three every year, you have a 10-11-1 season every now and then, but 9-3 and three consistently would be much better than kind of the up and downness of the Malzahn. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, it's a tough job. You know, it's a pressure situation. Like you said, you said, should your expectation of beat, uh, be to beat Alabama. <clears throat> and I, and you said no. And I rolled my eyes. Like your expectation should be to win championships at Auburn. It should not be to beat Bama. Uh, Bama is tough. And I understand that as long as Saban's there, they're going to be way ahead. And I get it, but um, you gotta you gotta bring someone that you believe in and that is going to compete with him at least. So hopefully that's what they thought with Harson, and it wasn't. Hey, this is the guy. This is the last guy that we have available that we actually want, and he's the first guy that accepted. So we'll see. Um, if if it was that situation, like uh, we may think it might have been, I don't expect Harson to last very long at Auburn. So especially with coaches, you know. Uh, not getting a long leash anywhere anymore. So it's like you have to win national titles uh, to to stick somewhere for a lengthy period of time uh, these days. So we'll see what happens with Harson. Uh, I, I like it, but I, I'm not sure if it's going to work. Uh, on Wednesday, we had two other jobs filled. Uh, Arizona announced they are hiring uh, Patriots quarterback coach Jed Fish because Cam Newton had so much success this year, clearly. And then ULM announced that it hired uh, Terry Bowden. Uh, Illinois also hired former uh, Wisconsin and Arkansas head coach Brett Bielema as their new head coach on Saturday. So Boise State is now the only FBS job open. Oregon defensive coordinator Andy Avalos and Cowboys OC Kellen Moore are among the names Mm. that are being circulated right now. So Nick, uh, your thoughts on those hirings and the possibility of what's going on at Boise State now. So the, the Arizona and Illinois hirings are are interesting. And and uh, one thing that I, I tweeted this out after Bielema got hired, you know, when a coach gets fired, some, that can do some things to your philosophy, can, can you know, kind of open your eyes a little bit, make you look outside, step out of your comfort zone and, and you know, maybe accept some new ideas. And then also if a coach spends time in the NFL, that can happen. 
you know, you, you get uh, sort of a, a crash course in football only. Don't have to worry about recruiting. Don't have to worry about uh, a lot of the other stuff that's outside uh, just the practice field, the film room and, and uh, you know, game day. So uh, it, it's it's interesting that both of these guys spent time, of course, in the NFL. Fish has been back and forth between the NFL and college for a long time. And, and then Bielema, I believe this was his first NFL uh, stint. He he went to the Patriots for a little bit and then was uh, with the Giants this this past year. But, you know, there, there was some concern at, at first that, oh, Bielema is just going to try to, you know, line up with a, a fullback and, and tight end and, and just run I formation, whatever. Uh, it's, it's so antiquated. But I imagine that that he will have evolved in, in an offensive style. It'll be interesting to see who he brings in as an offensive coordinator. But they had some offensive success at Arkansas and did some interesting things there as well. And then there certainly were times at Wisconsin where they were pretty dominant. A lot has changed since then. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm intrigued by Bielema and, and interested to see how he has changed uh, now that he has been fired and now that he has, because that, that will humble you, you know, getting, getting fired, of course, and then uh, spending some time in the NFL uh, and being a lower man on the totem pole for a while. He'd been a head coach for a long time and, and then being, uh, you know, pretty far down the list, I'm sure, uh, of Belichick's assistance when he was in New England. And, and uh, that probably has a, a way of, of uh, you know, humbling him as well. So it'll be interesting to see how he's changed. Fish, you know, honestly, I haven't uh, done a ton of research yet. He's a name that I'm familiar with. I know he was at Michigan for a little while. I know he was at, uh, you know, UCLA. And, and as I said, it's bounced between uh, college and, and the NFL a bit. Uh, the, the early numbers, the sort of baseline, you know, points per game type stuff that I've seen aren't great, but uh, need to do a little bit, you know, need, need to dig in a little bit more. And that's a big offseason project. For me and, and for you know CFP Winning Edge, we're going to be doing more diving into to coaching stuff and, and some of our numbers. So I'm I'm intrigued. I I will say that uh, yeah, I've I've noticed in the past so a lot of times my initial reaction when a coach gets hired, I think oh perfect hire. There there've been quite a few of those that that don't work out. And then when uh, you know on the other hand, like oh that's kind of a weird hire. Uh, don't really see how that's going to work. Those you know, relatively often will will uh, jump up and, and surprise us. So uh, I, I've sort of gotten out of the business of saying, okay, this is an A plus hire. This is a, you know, this is a D minus hire type thing. I uh, want to see a little bit more, want to dig into the, the past, the numbers a little bit more, but uh, you know, Fish was not maybe the, the most exciting name, but we'll see what sort of staff he puts together. And, and uh, who knows, some of these uh, surprising guys, especially with a background uh, you know, similar to his in, in the NFL, uh, potentially there's an opportunity for success there. Well, I mean, uh, it, he can't get worse than losing 70-7 to to ASU. So uh, they, they, need, uh, they, they need somebody else in there. Someone did not work. So uh, whatever the new blood is, I'm glad you have a – is getting some new blood in there because they're too good to be playing like that. So are they? No, no <laughs> I, I really think so. I mean, you know, U of A has always been known more as a basketball school, but uh, they're a big enough school. Arizona, you know, even Tucson is nice enough to uh, lure some recruits. I mean, look, I'm not the biggest Tucson fan, but I'd rather play there than anywhere where it snows. So, uh, you know, give, give me, give me U of A. So, uh, Xavier, what do you think about these hires and the potential of these uh, Boise State hires as well? Yeah, I, I love the Arizona hire. Um, 
I I really love when a football when a pro guy goes back to college because I think that there's a nuance there that they that that you gain from being in the NFL that you can pass on to kids in college that they're going to respect you more off of the beginning when you get there. You know, we we've seen it a little bit at, at Arizona State. You know, I think you know especially in the situation he's been in being a quarterback coach. When he gets to Arizona, he's going to have a a list of phone numbers that he can call of people to vouch for him who are currently in the league and say, hey, this is where you want to get to. Well, I know a bunch of these guys and have coached a bunch of these guys. And so I have those connections. And that in and itself is going to help him on the recruiting trail. Uh, Terry Bowden, ULM, I mean, Terry Bowden as a head coach was a formality at some point. I mean, he was going to get a job as a head coach at some point. I enjoy the fact that he started at a lower level. Uh, and I think at ULM, he's going to have an opportunity to take a, a school that's relatively done nothing since I've been in college at the very least uh, and, and give them an opportunity to, to, to succeed. So I really like that for him. And, and if he does do you know good work at ULM, the sky's the limit for Terry Bowden. His last name carries so much weight that I think many people uh, would suggest if he's able to do something at, at ULM of all schools, then he could be with somewhere else. Let's put it that way. Yeah, no, I, I loved it. I loved to hire for Brett Bielema. I think that this guy is going to have the connections while he was at Wisconsin. He'll carry that over to Illinois. So on the recruiting trail, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a great match. I think he'll be able to really recruit the state of Illinois exceptionally well. He was able to recruit Wisconsin pretty well. I mean, we know the names that he had in his backfield while at Wisconsin. Um, and like Nick said, although he's going to play an older style offense, maybe he progresses a bit. Uh, but he was able to win games in that offense. And his defenses were typically always good. I think in Illinois right now, it's baby steps. I don't think they're expecting him to come in and win a championship. Seven games, eight games, if he can consistently get you to that point at Illinois, I don't see why it wouldn't be a good fit for him um, as opposed to when he was at Wisconsin and it was Big Ten championship or bust. Um, I love the Kellen Moore opportunity at Boise State. I, I love when guys who were great players go back to their school, uh, go back to their, alum, uh, their alma maters, excuse me, so I really like that for him. Kellen Moore has spent, you know, some good time in uh, for the Cowboys. And honestly, their offense hasn't been too bad this year. Yeah, they suck as a team, but that's typically because their defense has given up 40 points a game and their offense can't keep up. And he's also had Andy Dalton as his quarterback for most of the year, but we don't have to get into the NFL. I think that, you know, he, he brings uh, an air to himself if he comes back to Boise State. I mean, all of these kids who want to go to Boise State and who are currently at the school will look up to him. And there will be a respect factor there, which I think is necessary when you come in as a new coach. And, I, and so I really like the Kellen Moore possible, uh, possibility at Boise State. Uh, all right. So we had a couple more uh, coordinator moves here. Michigan uh, part of ways with Don Brown. So it looks like they are getting an overhaul of coordinators in Michigan. So uh, Xavier and I would say that's the least they can do. Um, literally, LSU parted ways with Bo Pelini. I mean, after they gave up so many points, it was not that surprised. Uh, two members of the coaching staff retired, including OC Steve uh, Ensminger. Uh, so they are going to move into analyst roles. So we'll see what happens at LSU. Baylor also is moving on from Larry Fedora. So he had one season there and he's out. Texas Tech hired uh, TCU OC and former Red Raiders quarterback uh, uh, Sonny Cumble. Um, uh, and you know, I, th I think TCU was okay with that, the way that their offense has been playing. And then um, there are um, a bunch of transfer portals, but like we said, we are going to get more in-depth into transfer portal stuff later on uh, after bowl season. We'll, we'll have a full breakdown of guys moving teams and all that stuff. We have too many games to talk about right now. So a couple of those coordinator moves, Nick, what do you think? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't think too many people were surprised about uh, Don Brown. They just haven't been able to, to you know, uh, keep up, especially against Ohio State in, in recent years. And he's a great, you know, has a great, great track record. But uh, the, the you know, when it counts the most, have uh, fallen a bit flat. And, and this year, uh, you know, things just haven't really been trending in the right direction. So maybe maybe switching up the staff a little bit potentially could give initial boost and uh, be interesting to see how everything plays out. I, I, I think I agree with you guys that it's not necessarily a foregone conclusion that Harbaugh will be back in uh, 2021. It'll depend on, I think the, the NFL cycle as it goes, but uh, you know, this is, this is notable because Don Brown's pretty really, really well respected in the uh, you know, in, in college coaching circles for sure. Um, and then, you know, these offensive coordinator moves are, are going to be very, very interesting to me. A lot of the su- success I think that we've had this year in our stats only model that is built on uh, the, the past team performance of not only head coaches, but uh, offensive coordinators and defensive coordinators uh, and sort of how their, you know, success has, has impacted the other side of the ball as well. So uh, I, I think we definitely were onto something with that and, and I'm looking forward to expanding it and, and sort of uh, helping to kind of combine that with our, uh, you know, official player model. I, I think we're really on the, the right track with, with those two things and, and interested to see how we can work on it together. So I'm going to be diving into a lot of the offensive and, and defensive coordinator moves. So this is certainly something that that's uh, top of mind to me, what they're going to do at Michigan, what they're going to do at LSU uh, and, you know, in the big 12 as, as well, because we've seen offenses slow down quite a bit the last year or so defense is getting a little bit better. Uh, so interested to see what some new blood will do uh, on the offensive side with, with Cumbie going to uh, Texas tech who TCU hires and, and then of course Baylor. So, uh, you know, a lot of dominoes will fall much like the transfer portal as far as the, you know, coaching staffs down the line, but really, really interested in both of those as I'm starting to turn the page and, and look closer, look ahead to 2021 uh, here in the next, you know, few weeks, really, it'll be time to turn the page. Xavier, what do you think about these uh, coordinator movements? Yeah, I, I'm really excited to see what happens at both Michigan and LSU. Uh, when you look at Michigan, obviously defensively, they've been so poor this year and what made it so made it so bad is you know nick and you know we talked about at the beginning of the year how talented that michigan defense is you know there's still probably three or four first and second rounders on that defense you know and, and so for that to be such a talented defense and for it to have performed so poorly the only person you can really look at at this point is your your defensive coordinator you know and so i'm really excited to see what they do at the dc spot uh, i still think that they should fire the oc the offense wasn't any better this year and, and has been pretty pedestrian in the time of Harbaugh, they've had some decent performances, but for the most part, they've been pretty pedestrian. We can't all blame that on Shea Patterson. Uh, but so I think that, you know, everybody underneath Harbaugh has got to go. And then that just leaves Harbaugh. So if they play bad again, it's got to be Harbaugh out. Out. I, I think that they're moving in baby steps where they need to take a more giant leap uh, in, in their front office uh, or front office. But, you know, and when I look at LSU, it concerns me that Bo Pelini's out after year one. And the reason for that is because I think that when you're a new D.C., and you, you you come in and it's your first year, you kind of want an offseason to work on your defense. And for you to see a year where they were performed so poorly, but they had lost all that talent going into the league. They had no offseason to really get the defense in. They had to dumb down the defense midway through the year because the kids weren't getting set correctly uh, prior to play, the play being snapped. 
all of those things. I, I don't know if I can blame that on the DC. I, I really don't, especially in year one uh, of his team. Honestly, I'm happy if I'm Bo Pelini to get out of that situation yeah. because the, the stuff with um, the, the, you know, the USA Today article and everything, and uh, I don't think the one-year postseason ban is going to cut it for LSU. I think it's going to mm, be yes, a little sir. bit, and I think a lot of the staff's going to be moving out of there anyway. I think that we're going to get a, a house-cleaning situation within the next year or two at LSU. So for Bo, you know, it may not be fair, but it might be the best thing for him. That's fair. That's fair. He, he probably won't get tied to it once the sanctions do come in. Uh, yeah. But no, I, I, so for that reason, I, I thought it was, I thought it was a little weird um, for the Texas tech hire. I'm going to be honest with you. Texas tech's offense was pretty explosive this year. So, you know, for me, it's, it's not weird. Per se, but but Scott, you kind of hit it on the head. You, you said TCU probably wouldn't have a problem with this, and, and I don't, I don't disagree with yeah, that. that. You know, in in all fairness, that was Nick's note. Uh, he said, "I don't think many people in Fort Worth are going to be very upset that he's going," and uh, I absolutely agree with that. the The offense uh, for TCU has been uh, yeah, it, it wasn't great by any means, and so for him to go to TCU to a school that has been at the very least, we know TCU is a fun team offensively, has been explosive, can always put up 40 points with anybody for, for the most part or against anybody for the most part. Uh, it's really weird to me to see them go get a guy uh, in Cumby who has not had the best track record in the same conference. When you were able to see him, you know, when, when you're able to see what that offense looked like six weeks ago and now you're hiring him, I, I don't I don't like that move. Well, and he had had his play calling duties taken away too, I believe. So it's it's sort of a uh, the whole thing's a little bit weird. There were some rumors that Art Bryles might be under consideration for that job. And Back in the Big Twelve, oh, I, I, it's yeah, it's yeah. been a whole thing. But, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so who knows if Cumbie's going to be like the play caller, OC, whatever, but he is back. You know where where he was as a player, and and TCU, I think, was ready to ready to move on. I know. Uh, some of our some of our friends who are, are uh, TCU fans are, are certainly uh, happy that, that this move was made and excited to see if they can uh, mix things up a little bit on offense because they've got some building blocks. We'll, we'll definitely spend some time on that this this uh, off season. But TCU's got some pretty exciting uh, freshman playmakers, so you know got got something to work with whoever they bring in uh, or whoever's going to be in charge of that unit moving forward. Well, bowl season snuck up on us real quick. Uh, obviously, uh, everything pushed back a week. We didn't get, you know, uh, a couple weeks of transition and then the Heisman ceremony and then the bowl games and all that good stuff. But um, bowls are rolling out. So uh, let's just go over them. I'll, I'll go through the scores real quick and then I will throw it to you guys. But the ones that have played so far, uh, the Myrtle Beach Bowl on Monday, uh, App State beat down North Texas 56 to 28. Not a big surprise there. On Tuesday, we had Nevada beat Tulane 38-27 in the Idaho Potato Bowl. And then BYU stomped UCF out 49 to 23. And it was not as close as that score, <laughs> even though the score was 26 points away in the Boca Raton Bowl. So uh, right now, as we're recording, we are wrapping up with one minute left. The uh, RNL Carriers New Orleans Bowl, uh, 38 to 3. Georgia Southern is up yeah. in uh, Louisiana <laughs> Tech. So, um, Louisiana Tech uh, just missed out on a Hail Mary touchdown at the end here, too. 
It uh, looks like two seconds left in that game as we're recording. And then later tonight, we'll get Memphis and uh, Florida Atlantic in the Montgomery Bowl. So, Nick, uh, your thoughts on the Bulls that have wrapped up already? Yeah, and, and on one instance, uh, you know, apologize to our listeners out there. We didn't get to these four Bulls last week. I didn't have projections really ready to go quite in time. Published them shortly thereafter. Uh, we are three and one so far officially against the spread at uh, starting the bowl games. But maybe a bit of fortunate news for our listeners: the, that one loss was our only. All three agree. So we were on North Texas plus nineteen. It ended up getting to twenty-one and a half because uh, Jalen Darden was out. They you know had a, a bunch of guys out, uh, and and, and those know, ones weren't <laughs> announced. Like I know App State was missing some some players and. They were announced, but the North Texas guys weren't announced before kickoff. Right? Uh, so Darden, Darden was, yeah. He, he had uh, gone pro right after the end of the regular season and had announced that. So we knew he was going to be out. He was going to be a big one. Uh, Tulane had some – so the, the Tulane-Nevada game had on both sides some announcements. Tulane had three starters on the defensive line that were out. We did know that, not when we made our official projection, but we knew that uh, and it made an adjustment in the, the, you know, as soon as that news came out, Nevada had three defensive starters out that we didn't know until right before kickoff. So, uh, fortunately, we were on the right side of that. We had Nevada uh, almost, you know, that was almost a wrong team favor. Tulane was less than a point uh, or right around a point, according to, to our projections, uh, which was better than the, uh, you know, line when it came out. But really, really impressed with Carson Strong this year, Romeo Dubs, and, and, uh, uh, who's the the tight end there that that uh, could be you know uh, one Turner. of the best tight ends in the nation? Col- yeah, Turner, uh, Cole Turner, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, six hundred yards, nine touchdowns for him. Dubs over a thousand yards, nine touchdowns. Uh, really, really impressed with Nevada. One of the best, uh, you know, most improved teams in the country, in my opinion. This time last year, Nevada was our lowest ranked bowl team. They were in the like one tens in our power rankings. And, and uh, this year, I mean, they just blew up the, the charts. They finished in the sixties and, and probably uh, will climb, you know, a, a point or two higher once the, the final, final adjustments are made, but very impressed with Nevada this year, Georgia Southern, you know, we, we are going to be on the right side of this. Didn't see it coming quite like this though. Uh, didn't know shy words. If he was going to be able to play, we listed him as doubtful, uh, but he's played the whole game and, and looked, you know, pretty, pretty good. And 38 to three, pretty impressive. Louisiana tech is uh, a bit shorthanded, but uh, you know, probably should have put a better performance than this together uh, in, in this game. Xavier, your thoughts on the bowls that have already happened. Oh, and BYU was dominant. Oh yeah. BYU. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just put an exclamation point on his year. Yeah. Like they're number okay. two in team performance without even taking this game into account yet. And Zach Wilson, that, oh man, that throw, that last touchdown pass of his. Where he's not oh, even, wow. oh. Uh, I mean, his draft stock continues to go through the roof. I don't know how good of a professional he'll be, but as of right now, his he's top 15 pick easy as of right now. So he's done himself all the favors possible, and that bowl game just continued to roll. Um, but to get to the bowl games, App State blowing out North Texas, I mean – Cameron Peoples, 22 carries for 317 and five touchdowns. I mean, this is what bowl games are for. You know, that was, you know, Zach Thomas goes out on a great note. I think App State was blowing off some steam there, and North Texas just happened to be in the way. Um, same thing for Georgia Southern. I think they were blowing off some steam, and Louisiana Tech just happened to be in the way. 
that both uh, the consistency with both of those games is both of those. I think they're, they're the last games for each quarterback. Zach Thomas went, goes out for with a bang. Shai Wirtz goes out with a bang as well uh, and gets the job done in both of their respective ball games. Nevada knocking off, uh, beating Tulane. It was it was a it was a fun game. Kate Carson Strong didn't know much about the kid going in, but looked very impressive. Um, I don't know if that was him looking that impressive, but that was you know Tulane secondary being just that bad. Actually, did but, a good job. Uh, Tulane did on on Dubs because Dubs has yes. been the guy yeah. all, all year, and they held him to five for forty two. But Tawa, the running back, caught six for seventy seven and a score, and Turner had those two scores. So. Uh, I'm I'm with you on that one. Yeah, and, and he continues an impressive year. I'm looking up his numbers now: three thousand yards, twenty-seven touchdowns, four interceptions. Pretty good year. So he continues. You know, he finishes out his year strong, and that's probably a name we should look forward to coming into next year. Um, I, I was about to say, I'm, I'm I'm looking at the BYU score, and I'm just impressed by how bad it was. Uh, <laughs> I expected UCF to play a little bit better, just a tad bit. You know, I, I really did. I, I thought that B, I thought that UCF would come into the game. And at the very least, we would see Dylan Gabriel go head to head with Zach Wilson. It would be a it would be a shootout. You know, 49-43 would be your final score, needing a great touchdown from Zach Wilson at the end or something like that. And that's not what happened. Uh, BYU, kind of the theme here, blowing off some steam. Maybe a little mad that you know their only loss on the year comes to Coastal Carolina, a game that they probably might you know suggest maybe you know shouldn't have happened. Um, you know, but you know they they accepted it and they lost. But going out with one heck of a game. Zach Wilson is probably his last game in the BYU uniform, and if this is it, this is what be he'll be remembered for. And uh, yeah, that was that's ugly. That was my, that was the game I was most excited to watch over the first couple of games, and by halftime I was like, "Well, preseason basketball." Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah, we get some uh, regular season basketball. Not my team, of yes. course. Thanks a lot, James Harden. But uh, <laughs> you know, you know uh, no no regular season basketball for me tonight. But I'll, I'll be I'll be watching this. Uh, uh, this Montgomery ball between Memphis and FAU as well, but we're um, on FAU. All three agree. See how it works out. Officially, it was uh, ten and a half, around the over fifty-two and a half. So, just for for future reference, you will hear how it turns <laughs> out, and uh, we will edit this to make sure that that is correct, regardless <laughs> of what happens. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, I'm definitely going to take the time to re-record stuff. So, it's right. <laughs> but. Uh, Let's talk about the the games coming up this week within the time frame of you know when we do this up to the next time we record the show. And uh, I put these just in the level of how much we're going to talk about them. So let's start with these first three here. Uh, we got Marshall versus Buffalo. Buffalo is a four and a half point favorite. This is the Camilla Bowl. Fifty four is the over on that one. Uh, Louisiana. Uh, up against UTSA in the first responder bowl in that game. Louisiana is a 14 point favorite. 57 is the over. And then uh, Western Kentucky uh, versus Georgia State, WKU, or excuse me, I think, do, do you, is this right? Uh, because the way I have it on my app here, Nick, is Georgia State is the four point favorite. Is that ah. Georgia State or is Western Kentucky supposed to nope, be? No, you're right. Okay. And, and then the over is uh, 50 and a half. In that game, that is the Lending Tree Bowl. So, uh, break down uh, these three games for us, real quick, Nick. So, our numbers don't see a big edge one way or the other in, in the Buffalo Marshall uh, matchup. We're on Buffalo, have them favored by five points in both our official model and our stats only model. Uh, even though Marshall will be without running back Brandon Knox and linebacker Tavon Beckett, who's their best defensive player uh, or highest rated at least, uh, the talent edge. 
is in Marshall's favor, but uh, that's that's really the only you know it's it's pretty razor thin there. It's basically a toss up of talent. We're the only thing we're looking at. So even though Jarrett Patterson is uh, probable to play, maybe questionable. He was injured in the MAC championship game. Uh, was able to return to the game, but if, if he's going to play, uh, you know, be close to one hundred percent, we probably would have Buffalo a little bit closer to a six six and a half point favorite. So I expect the Bulls to win, and and we are on them. Uh, to cover, uh, but just barely. Western Kentucky is is our first, actually, of uh, quite a few, all three agree, in bowl season. We've got five uh, in this section of games alone, and, and we actually have Western Kentucky favored in two of our three uh, projection models. We think they're the more talented team, and, and our uh, scoring margin uh, stats-only model has them favored actually by four points. Our official projection does have Georgia State favored but by only a field goal so we are on uh western kentucky to to cover in in both of those i don't have a ton of uh confidence in that necessarily it's similar how it matches up to when western kentucky was uh and all three agree against charlotte in their last time out They've been a disappointing team this year, but maybe things are starting to finally uh, round into form. But Georgia State, you know, has, has been uh, pretty, pretty good this year. So that one could certainly go either way. And, and then uh, the Louisiana UTSA game, which I just saw actually uh, uh, just a second ago that UTSA head coach Jeff Trailer has tested positive for COVID-19 and, oh. and uh, may not be able to travel to this game. Hopefully, uh, you know, uh, Hopefully it works out. Maybe that was a, a false positive, but hopefully if it, if it is, uh, he'll recover quickly and, and then hopefully other guys on the team are, are uh, healthy and, and will be able to make this game. But we're on, you know, we think Louisiana should be closer to a 17-point favorite, both officially and in our stats-only model. I've got pretty good confidence in, in both of those two. Those have been our two strongest models uh, this year, and both are hitting about 55%. So, you know, hopefully that will continue. UTSA on paper is the more talented team here, but Louisiana has been been really, really good and, and can run the football against anybody. Really like Levi Lewis, the quarterback, Elijah Mitchell, Trey Regis at, at running back. They've got a lot of weapons, and, and the defense has some playmakers as well, at least in, in recent weeks. Uh, guys have, have stepped up, I think, for Louisiana. Disappointing they didn't get to play Coastal uh, in the Sun Belt Championship, mm-hmm. but this is, a, this is a very solid team and, and a team that should be a pretty heavy favorite against UTSA. Let's just hope we can you know, actually get to that game. Xavier, your thoughts on these first three games, Marshall, Buffalo, Louisiana, UTSA, and WKU, Georgia State. Yeah, I, I really like Buffalo in the first game against Marshall. I think that, you know, without Jared Patterson, I think this team has proven all year that they can still win games the hard way. Uh, I think uh, defensively, it'll be much, it'll be much of a stalemate defensively. I think both teams are pretty comparable when you talk about defense. I think Buffalo's offense is what will uh, get them over the hump. This is, a, this is an offense that has scored over 40 points uh, four times this year. Uh, yes, they're coming off of the back of a loss to Ball State, which was their last game that they played a week ago. However, this offense still in that game was able to put up 21, 28 points. Excuse me. And when we talk about a Marshall team that has struggled offensively at times and has really leaned on their defense throughout the, the bulk of this season, I see Buffalo being the better of the two teams in this game. So I'm going to go with Buffalo in this game, even if Jared Patterson isn't going to be able to play, which I think he will. I know I know it says he's questionable, but I think 
you know, limited snaps, maybe, maybe using him as a decoy after having that one heck of a game, uh, was it three weeks ago? Uh, at the very least, I think he'll, he'll try to go. Uh, when we look at Louisiana versus UTSA, this game might end by 530. Both of these teams like to run the football. They like to run the air out of the ball. It's a 330 start. It might end in two hours without the TV timeouts. Let's be honest. Uh, this game is really, really uh, going to be one on the ground. Neither team is an ex- has an explosive passing game. Uh, UTSA maybe a little bit more so than Louisiana. However, I think Louisiana, although they're not the more talented team, they're the better team. Um, and I think that they're going to want to win this game, not just because of uh, the fact that it's the last game of the year, but they want to leave with a statement as they probably feel hard done by, like you said, Nick, about not being able to play Coastal last week. I mean, kind of being, you know, robbed of that game um, and that opportunity to beat the team that gave them their only loss on the year. Uh, so I really, really, I really think Louisiana is going to win this game. Uh, and we might, and they might have to do it with Levi Lewis's arm, which he's shown, you know, earlier in the season against Georgia State that he can do in a pinch. Uh, but I think both teams are going to put seven in the box and we'll see which quarterback is the most efficient. All right. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say, with Western Carolina, uh, Western Kentucky versus Georgia State, the complete opposite. These two teams are going to be explosive. This is going to be a pass-happy game uh, where I think both quarterbacks are going to really – are going to be the winners of losers of this game. Uh, when we look at the both offenses, you got Quad Brown for Georgia State, who has gotten better as the year has gone on, but has had to be very good uh, because of a defense that, let's be honest, switch cheese at times. Uh, and, and has not been good enough to even maintain leads, let alone keep a game uh, within scoring, you know, keep the scoring margin down, uh, which bodes well for a Western Kentucky team that I think is coming in and is going to expect for that defense to not play, uh, to play pretty consistent to what they have all year. Um, when you look at Western Kentucky, once again, this is a team that defensively, really, really good. Offensively, has struggled a bit. However, when you play a defense like Georgia State, that doesn't really matter. Uh, I think that this game is going to come down to whether or not Georgia State's offense can move the ball and whether Western Kentucky's defense can shut them down. And I think um, I'm going to lean on the side of Georgia State. I'm going to be a little bit of a homer here. I'm going to be at the game. So I'm going to go Georgia State. Hopefully they get a win because that would be a really long drive to watch them lose. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully they win for you in that long, long drive. So uh, the next uh, group of games here, Nick, we got Liberty versus Coastal Carolina. Coastal is a seven-point favorite in that game wake forest versus wisconsin in the uh, mayo bowl wisconsin is a seven point favorite 53 and a half in that one and then iowa versus missouri in the music city bowl iowa being a 14 point favorite 50 and a half is the over in that one how do you see those three games playing out so we, we broke down Liberty and Coastal Carolina uh, a few weeks ago when that game was supposed to be, uh, you know, played in, in the week leading up to the, the BYU right. yeah. Coastal game. We, we talked about it a little bit. There was still uh, – it was it was kind of on the fence, it seemed like, as to whether or not Liberty was going to be able to play in that game. But, uh, you know, we, we, we talked about a lot of the themes. These are two uh, old rivals, and, and so it's good to see that they'll be able to, to reschedule this game that was canceled. Malik Willis has been one of the one of the best quarterbacks in college football this year. I was a, a bit skeptical that he would really, you know, I, I thought he would play decently well and, and had, you know, the expectation that a Hugh Freeze offense was going to be able to put up points, but he's exceeded my expectations. He's been absolutely phenomenal, and he for sure was going to be out uh, of this game 
uh, had it been able to, to go through with enough scholarship players for Liberty. But uh, hopefully he is back and fully healthy and, and recovered and, and excited to see him, uh, you know, play this game. And, and uh, you know, Liberty's got a, a couple of decent uh, defensive players as well, Tershan Carr, uh, Treshawn Clark and, and Anthony Butler at, at defensive line and linebacker uh, specifically. So uh, they've made some progress, I feel like, on, on the defensive side of the ball. And, and then Willis has been so spectacular, but he's also had, uh, you know, some playmakers at, at receivers as well. DJ Stubbs and, and Kevin Schaub made a couple of really spectacular catches throughout the course of the year. Coastal Carolina is, is a team that our numbers have been very, very slow to recognize just how good they are. Obviously, you know, they are undefeated. They are ranked in the top uh, what, 15 in the country now. And, and uh, we're able, the only team really that, that we're able to hang with BYU and, and we're able to get that win. So they've been incredibly, incredibly impressive. They've got some playmakers, CJ Marable at running back finally looks like his, his old self had a little bit of a lull in the, the mid uh, part of the season, but he has come on strong at the end. Javon Hiley, Isaiah Likely at receiver and tight end have, have uh, really carried the load there. And then Teron Jackson at, at uh, you know, the, the defensive end, Ed Rusher, uh, is maybe the best pro prospect in, in the Sun Belt. So, uh, you know, throw that in with DeJordan Strong, who's been, you know, high on the, the leaderboard for interceptions. Teddy Gallagher, the linebacker with the uh, with the mullet, who's gotten a, a lot of time, you know, a lot of face time on on uh, college game day and, and all of that. Absolutely. So you know, Coastal's a, a ton of fun and, and really, really uh, happy for their success this year. Our numbers think that Liberty can keep it close, and and uh, it worked out very, very similar to the way we talked about it the last time out. We do have Coastal Carolina favored in, in all three projections, but. All three of those projections are within the seven-point spread. We we're officially uh, have Coastal Carolina three and a half. Uh, our Talent Edge model has Coastal Carolina by about four and a half, and then the Stats Only model has Coastal Carolina by two and a half. So we see a decent amount, you know, a decent edge there. Uh, but remember what I said at first: our numbers have been a little slow to recognize Coastal Carolina. We only have them ranked thirtieth in, in the country, so they are actually even behind Louisiana, despite having beaten. Louisiana earlier on, we, we think if they were able to, to play that game last week, we thought that, that Louisiana was basically a toss-up. But, you know, Coastal is, is 10 in team performance overall, and they're number 10 also in, in offensive team performance and a top 35 defense. So they're legit, but Liberty's been pretty good too. I mean, they're 17th in team performance, 11th on offense, and 38th defensively. So uh, very evenly matched as far as our numbers go. Wisconsin, we think – our numbers at least think that Wisconsin should be able to cover the seven. All three agree Wisconsin is playing uh, elite defense. I mean, they they rank uh, number six in our defensive team performance, but the offense, uh, other than that that opener, you know, when Graham Mertz looked like a Heisman Trophy candidate, uh, they basically just fallen off the cliff. They're 95th in offensive team performance. So they should be able to score enough. I think Jalen Berger, the running back has missed the last couple of games, but it looks like he's uh, likely to play questionable. We'll, we'll see, but Wake Forest defensive, not, you know, not the most outstanding defense out there uh, that, you know, putting it mildly, they rank 98th in defensive team performance. So uh, expect this game to kind of go the way Wisconsin wants it to. I think I, I'm not sure that Wake Forest is going to be able to stretch that defense really, uh, even though they do have some playmakers, Donovan Green, Ja'Cory Robinson. Uh, they are going to be a little shorthanded at running back. Kenneth Walker, the third is, is uh, 
left the team. And, and uh, so we'll see, you know, are they going to be able to run the ball? Uh, I, I think that Wisconsin's going to be able to, to sort of dictate things uh, on both sides of the football there. So uh, we do expect Wisconsin to, to be able to cover seven seems about right uh, as far as my eyes go, but our official projection is, is closer to nine talent edge is about nine and a half. And then the stats only model is actually close to, to two touchdowns that has been our best model by about one or two games now uh the official projection models is really caught up but uh it, you know the stats only model sees a really big edge there but we've, we're on wisconsin 31 22 in, in that game and then iowa missouri uh, another all three agree this one i feel less confident in iowa has just absolutely just been charging up our power rankings they're up to number 12 in, in our numbers uh, and this is a team that does not recruit at a very high level at all. So they're putting up some really, really uh, impressive team performance numbers in recent weeks to be able to, to climb uh, up, up to that level. I mean, they're, you know, a, a top 15 team uh, nationally, according to our numbers, excuse me, top 20 team, uh, 18th in team performance overall. They're number two in defensive team performance. And even though they're 62nd offensively, They've got some playmakers, Tyler Goodson. It does seem like a, a Amir Smith-Marset, maybe the most electric uh, option that they've got at, at receiver, did kind of a, a little bit of a, a silly thing and, and flipped into the end zone on a, a touchdown in, in his last game and, and looked like he hurt his ankle uh, decently bad, pretty bad, and so he might not be able to play in this game. It, it might not be, you know, might not hurt him. In the long run, he does have a pro future, an NFL future, but uh, might might be out in this game. But even with him out, uh, we've got Missouri being able to, to keep this close enough. They're 14.5-point favorites, as you mentioned. We officially have Iowa as a uh, about 11.5-point favorite. Our stats-only model has uh, Iowa as about a 10.5-point favorite. And then talent-wise, only favored by a field goal. So Missouri is going to be without a, a couple of guys. They were really, really shorthanded. In the secondary, Sean Robinson, the starting quarterback at the beginning of the year, actually uh, has moved over to defense and, and started last game for them. Had an interception, uh, and, you know, and, and then uh, Nick Bolton at linebacker has already uh, announced his intentions to go into the NFL draft and won't be playing in this game as well. So Iowa's going to have plenty of opportunities to, uh, you know, move the football. But Larry Roundtree, uh, Connor Basilek has looked, you know, decent at, at quarterback this year is, is uh, was able to win that job, get it away from Robinson and, and has played well enough. And then Roundtree is one of the best running backs in, in college football. We actually have Missouri as our number three running back unit, as far as our, our position strength numbers go with Roundtree and, and uh, Tyler Beatty, uh, his backup there. So we think Missouri can do enough and Iowa doesn't often really blow teams out. So two touchdowns, Seems about right, uh, you know, 10 points, give or take. We're on Iowa 31-20 in that one. All right, Xavier, your thoughts on that group of games right there, those three. Yeah, I, I think the Liberty Coastal Carolina game is going to be the most fun game out of all of the games we'll talk about on this list. Uh, when you look at both teams, you're looking at two explosive offenses, Liberty, as we know, has been able to beat a couple of uh, P5 teams this year uh, and has really, you know, Shocked a lot of people. Not myself. I picked them. I think every time they play the FPS team this year, I think I picked them as well. Uh, but I was, you know, I, I'm really excited to see what they do this week against the Coastal Carolina defense that has really been consistently good all year um, and has been, you know, I think as is now starting to get the credit that they deserve. But I think a lot of people have talked to how, you know, 
amazing the Coastal Carolina offense has been, the nuances of their offense into this year. Uh, obviously, we know that the OC has been getting a lot of praise and a lot of talk, or, and the head coach has been getting a lot of praise for what has been happening with the offense. But that defense has been, you know, they get after the quarterback. They make people uncomfortable. Uh, they, they, they're they really solid on the front seven, and they allow their their corners and their DB, uh, and their safeties to not have to do too much. And I, and I really like that Coastal Carolina defense going into this ballgame. I think Liberty can keep it close. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep it within what is being projected. However, I think Liberty wins it. Not Liberty. I'm sorry. I think Coastal Carolina wins this game by 14. I think Coastal Carolina pulls away late. Uh, and the talent and the consistency that they've played with all year just kind of proves its point at the end of the year. This team finishes undefeated, which would be an amazing year for Coastal Carolina. Even if they lose this game, it would be an amazing year for them. But I think they go on and win this game by 14. Uh, I think Liberty just cannot keep up with them for four quarters. And I think Liberty's defense makes enough plays down the stretch to keep Liberty at bay uh, and gets the job done. I look at Wake Forest, Wisconsin. This is a weird game. I honestly don't know who's going to win this ball game. Because on Wisconsin side, you have a defense that's played out of their minds, but an offense that has literally lost them like two or three ball games this year. Uh, you know, we, we look back on the Northwestern game where they literally lost them the game. Three turnovers by Graham Mertz, you know, giving Northwestern great field position. They went on and scored the defense, even though they got two turnovers. Wisconsin ended up turning it over two times after they, they were able to gain those said turnovers. And those offenses, just the offense for Wisconsin has just been really poor all year long. And it's very concerning for me going into this game against Wake Forest. I think Wake Forest is, can put up points on this Wisconsin defense. And I don't think you have to put up a lot for them to win. You know, I think what the final score of the Northwestern game was, what, 17 to 7? And, and so I think that Wake, Wake Forest is probably looking at themselves like, well, we put up 53 versus North Carolina. We put up 38 versus Syracuse. We put up 40 versus West, uh, versus Virginia. We can put up at least 17 points against this Wisconsin defense. And that's why I'm going to go ahead and lean with Wake Forest here. I think they get the job done. I think Graham Mertz and that Wisconsin offense struggles again, and the defense just can't hold up for four quarters, and Wake Forest walks away with what would at least on the surface look like a very surprising victory. Uh, and lastly, for this group, Iowa versus Missouri, I think this is going to be a one to another one of those games where it's you know differing styles. Iowa's a very ugly team, not aesthetically, but they they play ugly. You know they they make you know they make it difficult for you to win ball games. They are going to be a team that keeps it third and five every time. They're going to be third and medium. It's going to be an ugly game. And for Missouri, this is the complete opposite. They've been an explosive offense. They've leaned on Larry Round on Roundtree and, and big plays early on in the year from Basilek. And you know if they can't keep that offense rolling, they struggle. That's why I'm going to go with Iowa here. I think Iowa's defense gets enough stops uh, and gives their offense the ball. I think they kind of just sit on the ball. I think Iowa just controls time possession. They make Missouri's possessions uh, that much more uh, important, and, and Missouri doesn't get it done throughout through the air. And they bottle up Roundtree as they put seven in the box and make Basilek beat them, which I don't think he can. Uh, so I think I'm going to take Iowa here. Um, in the 14-and-a-half margin, I think it's a little bit much, but I would see Iowa winning this game by 7-10. Iowa blowing people out is like something that doesn't happen. It's like a blue moon. It's like, yeah, Iowa, <laughs> Iowa beat somebody by 20. Huh? Was it the FCS program? No. Oh. Okay, like you know, it just doesn't happen. So I think Iowa wins this game by seven or ten points. Uh, all right, uh, the last uh, couple games here. Let's go game by game. Let's start at the Cheez It Bowl, which is now in Orlando, by the way. Uh, so uh, it'll have people, and and now they put good teams in it. You know, uh, <laughs> now it, it's Oklahoma State versus Miami. Nick, uh, Miami a two point, or excuse me, Oklahoma State a two point favorite. Fifty eight and a half is the over. This should be a really fun game. 
Yeah, and 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 you said it. I mean, when you when you had to correct yourself to say that Oklahoma was favored, I was surprised that that Oklahoma was favored, and, and our numbers were surprised uh, that Oklahoma was favored. So uh, after actually not having a situation last week where we uh, thought that the wrong team was favored, uh, we've got one now, and, and think that Miami should win this game. Miami should be about a two point favorite according to our numbers, and and part of that is. Uh, Miami is, of course, very, very talented. We talk about that, you know, there are some teams that have a history of maybe not living up to their talent rankings. Miami has been in that conversation. If talent were the only factor here, and and we're talking recruiting rankings, but then we also adjust for experience and career production when we're talking about that. We're talking about our roster strength numbers for any first-time listeners out here. But uh, we would have Miami as as almost a double-digit favorite. If, if talent were the only factor here, Oklahoma state is kind of a, you know, top 40 recruiter. They, they do have some very talented players. Tylen Wallace being one of them. He's a hundred rated player. According to our, our numbers, uh, Chuba Hubbard is a, a hundred rated player. Uh, of course, you know, Wallace and Hubbard have both been out in recent weeks. It sounds like Wallace is going to try to play in this game, but uh, Hubbard has, declared for the NFL draft and, and is gone. So, you know, they're going to be they, – they also are, have been without L.D. Brown, his top backup, uh, with an injury for, for multiple weeks. So, you know, they're going to have to go back in, into the, the, you know, lower tiers of the depth chart to Desmond – Jackson and and uh, you know the the uh, other guys there to, to give the running game uh, a bit of a boost. Uh, Dominic Richardson being the the other guy there in the mix, but uh, you know it'll be interesting. Can Spencer Sanders take a step forward? We've been waiting on it. Uh, you know Oklahoma State is a team that has been a, a bit of a roller coaster. Is capable of of knocking off. Uh, a top twenty team for sure, but uh, is also capable of losing a game that they should. Miami is, you know, somewhat similar, and, and they were embarrassed last time out. So that probably has something to do with why they are uh, an underdog in this game. But you know, we we try not to to over, uh, you know, take take just one game into account and, and try not to overrate that one performance. So I think Miami will be able to bounce back. Uh, Derek King be interesting to see. Will this be his final game? Will he take advantage of that yet extra year of eligibility? Seems like, you know, he's, he's starting to get some playmakers. Mike Harley, at, uh, you know, has, has really emerged as his top receiver. Brevin Jordan has done some good things this year. Even D, uh, D. Wiggins and, and Mark Pope have had their moments. So uh, I think that that receiving group is, is starting to round into form. Be interesting to see if, if all of those guys come back. I know Jordan probably would be one of the top you know, three or four tight ends taken in the NFL draft, I would expect. So maybe he goes, but uh, a lot, a lot to like coming back for Miami if De'Aaron King were, were to come back as well. So they will be shorthanded. Uh, their top two pass rushers, Quincy Roche uh, and uh, Jalen Phillips, have both declared for the NFL draft, joining Gregory Rousseau, who didn't play at all this year. But all of those guys are gone, won't be playing in this game. They were without uh, Al Blades Jr., uh, starting corner, who's who's been out since December 12th uh, with uh, a heart, excuse me, a heart issue. Uh, so they're shorthanded on defense for sure. So so I, I get it. I understand why people think that okay, Oklahoma State's going to be able to uh, put up some points here, but still think that Miami should be favored. And even though our stats only model is actually on Oklahoma State by about a field goal, I, I have a little more confidence 
in that uh, official projected uh, model. And, and we've got Miami getting out of there with a, a one or two point win. Our official final score projection is 30 to 29. So right there with the 58 and a half uh, total, but we think that Miami will be able to win the game. All right, Xavier, what do you think of the cheese ball now that it moved and it's good? <laughs> I'm so, first off, sorry, Scott, for, for your loss. Um, but I, I really like this game, and I, I'm honestly shocked that Ohio, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State is favored in any way, shape, or form. And if we're just talking based off of performance in game, I'm shocked. Oklahoma State has been consistently uh, inconsistent all year. I mean, they 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 start off the year looking like they're going to be the team to come out of the Big 12. Then they get the doors beat off of them by Oklahoma. You think they've settled the ship a bit uh, by beating Texas Tech, and then they get – beaten by TCU, then they come back and blow out Baylor to end the year. Nothing about this team says consistent. And, and that's why I'm picking Miami in this game. At the very least for Miami, I know what I'm going to get. I'm going to get a, I'm, I'm going to get an attempted masterpiece from Derek King. You know, I'm, I'm going to get consistency from here to him at the very least. Like as bad as that game against North Carolina was, he personally did not have a terrible ball game. Could he have been better? Sure. But the defense giving up 62 points, I mean, what are you going to do? Um, you know, and so I know what I'm going to get out of him at the very least. And that's why I'm picking Miami as well, is I don't know what I'm going to get out of Spencer Sanders in this ballgame. This is a guy who started off the year not even playing due to injury and has slowly kind of worked himself back to what looks like, you know, 100%. But he doesn't look like the Spencer Sanders of old at all. The same thing goes for Tylen Wallace, a guy who's been consistently injured all year. Personally, I don't think he should play in this game if he has NFL draft after aspirations. I think he should sit out like his teammate Chuba, and, and I really don't like this move for him. It's a meaningless ball game, and if you're thinking about going into the – if you think that this game is all of a sudden going to catapult you into a first-round grade, trust me, watching your film this year, it will not. Uh, but, you know, and, and so I really think Miami coming in this game offensively is just so much more consistent, and I'm go- I know what I'm going to get. And so I like Miami in this ball game. Defensively, Sp- uh, Spencer Sanders, defensively, Oklahoma State has just been beat up, and I don't like – that going is a, a really a Miami team that has, as you said, and it kind of found its footing a bit. Derrick King is starting to trust a little bit more. Brevin Jordan is starting to become the monster that we thought he would be uh, in in this in this team. Mike Harley is starting to become the deep threat that we all believe that he could be. Even Mark Pope has become more consistent in his in his catching uh, later on down the year. And so I really think that Miami is, you know, unfortunately for them, they have a couple of bad losses on the schedule, but both to rank programs. I think they were out of their depth in those two games. But I think this is a perfect matchup for them against the Oklahoma State team that's going to be coming in with, you can think, probably a little to no confidence, especially in the run game with Chuba Hubbard and uh, LD, and LD not playing in this ballgame more than likely. Um, when we, so I like Miami there. All right, the next game, the Alamo Bowl, which is featuring my Longhorns. And if you know me, I am very disappointed in uh, the Alamo Bowl. I was hoping for at least a New Year's Six Bowl, but, uh, you know, uh, it is what it is. I don't, I don't even know what, I, and I hate that saying, uh, but I'm just going to throw that one out there for this. So uh, Texas is playing Colorado in the Alamo bowl. They are nine and a half point favorites. Nick 64 is the over in this game. How do you see that one going? Yeah. Well, I, I Xavier was telling us earlier. He had, uh, it sounded like a, a pretty, pretty strong opinion on, on this one. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to defer to him on, on this one first. And then uh, I, I think that uh, I've, I've also got a strong opinion on it. So I, I feel I feel a little bit strange, to be honest, because in, in the past few weeks, uh, I've had 
no feel for a lot of games. This time, you know, seeing the bowl games when the when the odds were posted, there were quite a few that I was like, that that seems weird. Like that doesn't seem quite right. That number's too big. That number's not big enough. And the numbers have aligned on that with a, a lot of them. So it I it's a really strange feeling. I don't like feeling confident. <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense whatsoever. If if I I I I've been it's been pounded into my brain uh from from you know growing up and, and uh you know playing sports or, or my early coaching career and whatnot where as soon as you start to think you've got it figured out as soon as you start to think that you're good you know things have a way of humbling you real real quick so i want to be cautious but i also want to hear first what, what xavier's thought because because he's got i know he's got a, an opinion on this give me texas by 17 i think this game isn't going to be close I think when you look at Texas, this is an offense that has consistently been good all year. Yes, they've had a couple of down games, but it's Texas. They have one of two of these every year. You can't use that as a barometer for this team. You have to use a barometer of what happened when they played the best teams in their conference. They played Oklahoma State, 41 points. Even in the loss to Oklahoma, 45 points. And yes, the 20-point loss, like I said, was a down game against Iowa State, but we know how good that defense has been. And they're coming off of a game against Kansas State where they put up 69 points. This is Sam Ellinger's, and I'm going to be very corny here. This is Sam Ellinger's last rodeo as a, as a Texas Longhorn. He's not going out with a loss, and he's not going out with a close win either. He's going out slinging. I, I, I've got him going, you know, 300-plus yards, four touchdowns, and we can call it a day. I don't think Colorado is prepared for this game in a, in a matchup sense. This would be the best thing that they've played all year by a large margin. Uh, in my personal opinion, and I don't think that they're ready for this game. I think Texas is the more battle-tested team, and offensively, I think that they're going to have a field day. Uh, all right. I, I'm glad someone's confident in, in yeah. Texas, Nick. <laughs> I mean, uh, obviously, I don't have as much confidence. It seems like this is about the confidence level I have at the end of every year with yeah. my Longhorns. Uh, but uh, what, what, what do you think, Nick? How, how is this game going to play out completely? Okay, so Colorado is 4-1, and one, right? One of the most... Uh, really one of the most impressive coaching jobs we've seen. First year head coach, Carl Durrell, one of those hires that when it happened, everybody's like, what? Like ugh, Carl Durrell. And uh, it's, it's worked out. He's, he's put together a solid team that has, has done enough to, to win four out of five games and, and has looked good. I mean, Jarek Broussard, the, the running back who basically came out of nowhere uh, is the Pac-12 offensive player of the year. And, and so, Relative. I think that the future there is uh, bright. I think that Mel Tucker has has built them into, uh, you know, Mel Tucker did a good job, I think, of, of laying a foundation in year one. And then Carl Durrell is going to be able to, to carry that. And, and Colorado is going to be a team on the rise. I do believe that. Texas is, you know, going to be really, really shorthanded. Uh, Brennan Eagles is declared for the NFL draft. He's gone. Joseph Osai, gone. Take one Graham gone, Chris Brown gone. So, you know, they had already lost Caden Sears, who didn't play in the, the last game uh, or, or wasn't going to play before that game was. Uh, no, no, he did miss the Kansas State game. I apologize. So that's that's a lot of talent, out, you know, gone already. Uh, Texas has been a team a little bit in turmoil. Tom Herman was, uh, you know, sounded like. Uh, uh, Better days. <laughs> sounded like uh, Tom Herman was, you know, uh, coaching for his job, Urban Meyer might be on the on the way out, or might be on the way in, and, and uh, all of that. Texas has, has you know come up short once again. 
but I absolutely agree with Xavier. Yeah. Texas should be uh, a double-digit favorite. They were a double-digit favorite. It was 11 and a half uh, earlier in the week. It has come down, which, again, makes me nervous. Uh, but I, I feel like people, in some ways, you know, what we do, we, we do have a player-based model. If you haven't seen our FBS team profiles, it's extensive. We've got individual uh, ratings, recruiting ratings, and our own stuff for every player in college football. We try our very best to capture every player. We try our very best to capture injury news. You know, when a guy, it, it sounds like, is is probable, we try to account for that. When it sounds like he's doubtful, we make a different uh, way of calculating how his rating goes into it. Texas is a good example, I think, of, and this game specifically, of, of there might be people out there who are kind of overcompensating for teams that are going to be shorthanded in, in bowl season. Guys opting out for the NFL draft. Texas just, and yeah, they might disappoint us. It, it has happened before. But Texas should you know, win this game by double digits because just position by position, regardless of, of the direction that the Colorado program is, is moving, Texas is more talented in every single position. Quarterback, huge edge. Running back, Broussard's been great. Bijan Robinson is a star. Uh, you know, he's, he's going to be a, a much, much better player, I think. Even without Brennan Eagles, you know, they've got Joshua Moore. They've got Jake Smith, uh, Tariq Black, who, you know, still uh, has a potential to, to maybe uh, rise to the next level. Jordan Whittington, hopefully he's finally fully healthy. Want to see him more involved in the offense. Even with all the guys out on defense, you know, Colorado just – doesn't really have the horses, I don't think. And, and so there are some depth concerns, yes. Uh, there are some concerns with Texas underperforming, but Texas should win this game by double digits. We've got it 35-24, and, you know, that that feels a little tight to me, quite honestly. I I, I like our scoring margin. Our, our stats-only model is, is closer to 16, and our talent edge is, uh, you know, close to 16. That seems, that seems closer – uh, to me than, than nine and a half. So I was, I was happy to see this number move uh, into the single digits because I do think they should win by double digits. Now, obviously Colorado will win outright, but uh, yeah, all three of our numbers agree and, and think that Texas should win this game by double digits. Yeah. I mean, Nick, Nick just sounded like uh, everyone in the preseason for about uh, three minutes there. So, uh, you know, Texas is, is way more talented than everybody uh, but it never works out. So hopefully in just a game against Colorado in a bowl game, it can work. I mean, they do have home field advantage and all that stuff being that it's the Alamo bowl. Yeah, they've had some good bowl game results in recent years. They have, they have. Yeah. They're I always think that somehow shows up for bowl games. Yeah. Yeah. They show up in the Alamo bowl every year because they're not in a new Year's six bowl. So <laughs> it's uh and, and remember uh, the punter won uh, the player of the game. So uh, in that game a couple years ago, but anyway, the cotton bowl is uh, the biggest one of the week coming up for, for us. Florida is a three point favorite. 71 and a half is the over. They are up against Oklahoma in the cotton bowl. Nick, this one seems like it's going to be extremely fun but I do expect Florida to take this game. Uh, but it's going to be a it's going to be the get best game to watch out of the ones we've mentioned so far. That's for sure. I think. Yeah, I think I agree. Uh, I, I you know on the on the level of interest in this game. I mean, Florida uh, was a legitimate playoff contender this year, and and they gave Alabama their toughest 
Uh, toughest game to date. The offense has been very, very impressive. They rank seventh in team performance. Defensively, they've been, you know, they, they've had some issues. They only rank 72nd uh, in our, our defensive team performance numbers. So when we're looking at advanced stats, you know, EPA per play and, and uh, points per drive allowed and, and, you know, yards per play and on the on the margins and all of those and, and so many more numbers. Uh, put those all into a formula and, and it spits out a, a number we feel pretty good about. That's, you know, Florida 72nd in defense. That That's a bit of a, a, a disappointment. So, you know, add into the fact that Florida will be without some players. We don't know exactly who they will be. I know Kyle Pitts uh, has declared for the NFL draft. Did you guys hear if it was official that he won't play in the game or not? I, I, I didn't see that specifically. So we'll see. But, but you know, it, it sounded like in, in Dan Mullen's comments after the game against Alabama last week that he expected some guys to uh, yeah. not be in this game. Yeah, Kyle Pitts has said he won't play in this game. Won't play. Okay, so I'll, I'll adjust that uh, here real quick. I, I did have him. Uh, in the mix as as far as our projection went, so uh, I'll I'll figure that out and get a, a, an updated number. But um, yeah, I mean Florida is is a solid team, even if Pitts isn't there, even if they've got some defensive guys out. It wouldn't shock me if Kadarius Tony doesn't play this game. It sounded like there might be a small chance that Kyle Trask might not play in this game. Uh, I, that that would be a little bit surprising. I would expect him, but uh, but you never know. So you know, Florida might be shorthanded. Uh, they do have a talent edge over Oklahoma, even without uh, Kyle Pitts in, in the mix. Uh, but I'm I'm really you guys are are going to get tired of me. In the offseason, I know I am going to be on the Oklahoma hype train big time in, in 2021. <laughs> I am going to, I, I'm telling you guys, I mean, it's hard to not be on that hype train with Rattler. Uh, he looks, he does look really good. So it's going to uh, get really annoying. And Xavier's already taking his headphones out, he's already rubbing his eyes, he's not even listening to me right now. Because, yeah, I'm gonna have these, to take these, approach and tune you out. So. Already over it. <laughs> I am gonna be. I am gonna be hard, big time on the Oklahoma Hydrant. They're, they're seventh in our power rankings right now. First in the Big Twelve. Not a surprise. They won the Big Twelve this year. The defense carried them, and we talked about it a little bit last week. But they are a top ten defense right now. Oklahoma is. They rank eighth in defensive team performance. They rank sixteenth in offensive team performance. They were a top two offense like each of the last five years so the the offense has come down a little bit not quite as explosive as it was uh but the defense has really taken a step forward and there are not a lot of seniors on this defense uh they probably will lose ronnie perkins who's a junior top pass rusher he's probably going to go to the nfl early i would expect it's possible a guy like isaiah thomas who, who really had a solid year uh really took a big step forward he might be gone. You know, they, they did uh, – Trey Brown, the corner, senior corner, uh, is out of this game and, and uh, has decided he won't pursue uh, another year of eligibility. But Oklahoma's probably going to return at least eight starters on defense, I think, maybe as many as nine, depending on, you know, who, who takes advantage of that extra year. And then offensively, they are going to be absolutely just loaded. Spencer Rattler, yes, but then they've also – got Charleston Rambo, Theo Weiss, Marvin Mims is the next great 
college football wide receiver, in, in my opinion. John Hazelwood, Trey uh, John Bridges. I would expect Jeremiah Hall, the H-back, will be back. And then they've got other guys at H-back, you know, Brandon Willis, Mikey Henderson, Austin Stogner, who's been hurt a lot. But, you know, all of those guys, Rambo's a junior. But I, I expect all of those guys probably will be back. They might lose Creed Humphrey. They might lose another starter on the offensive line. They, they probably will lose Ramaj Stevenson. He's been good enough coming back that he's got a, a probably an NFL future sooner rather than later. But they've got guys. I mean, Seth McGowan and, and uh, Marcus Major, other guys, and, and freshmen coming in. This Oklahoma team is, I think, if I were to project uh, coming into 2021, they're going to be top three in our power rankings in, in the preseason. And they might be, have a shot at that preseason you know, AP poll uh, number one spot. It would not shock me at all. So this game could be a springboard for that. Will Oklahoma, you know, kind of really want some heading into 2020 beat Florida who might be a little bit shorthanded. We don't have Oklahoma favored in this game, but we do have them covering in our official projection. We have uh, Florida as a one and a half point favorite. Uh, Florida, as far as talent goes, is a 3.03 point favorite so technically they are uh favored as far as the talent only goes but our projected scoring margin our stats only model does have oklahoma by about as about a three point favorite so this is within 0.03 points of being an all three agree and i have confidence in it which makes me a little bit nervous but oklahoma is going to be i think my team in, in 2021 i am i can't wait to hammer some uh, uh way way too early futures on Oklahoma to win the national championship next year. I, I am going to be so much, you know, such an Oklahoma uh, next season that uh, you making- guys are, you're already tired of it. I know but it's going to be, it's going to be just unrelenting. He's making uh, I, I got to, I got to mute Nick. I can't take it anymore. All right, Xavier, go ahead. Uh, and Thank you. How this game is going to go, because I can't, he, he, after Oklahoma, uh, yeah, there was like, no more I could listen to. Yeah, 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 that, that was nice here. Please, please. Yeah, no, me. this game won't be close. I'm sorry. It won't be. I don't know what I know. Your metrics are suggesting that Oklahoma's defense has come around, come around to what playing Kansas. I'm sorry. The defense has been boosted by playing mediocre competition for the last four weeks. You know, they've, they've played. I'm West a state. <laughs> oh, excuse me. The <laughs> offense that is Brock Purdy and Brees Hall. I, I'm, I'm sorry. You played Baylor, West Virginia, Kansas, and Oklahoma State before the uh, before the championship game. I wouldn't say any of those offenses are explosive by any means. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm sorry. That's just not good enough for me to suggest a defense has turned a corner, you know, for, at, at all whatsoever. You know, and going against a Florida offense that, yeah, they're going to be missing Kadarius, Tony, and Mike, and, uh, Mike Pitts. Kyle Maybe Pitts. Tony. I don't know if that's – but. That's a that's oh, a second missing Kyle Pitts. This offense is the second best offense in college football, has been all year, and that's not going to change against an Oklahoma defense that has yet to see an offense this explosive with these many options with a quarterback that is this red hot. I mean, other outside of Mac Jones, Kyle Trask is the hottest quarterback in college football when it comes to his gameplay right now, and they're and they're going to be running into a buzzsaw. And Florida's going to win this game handedly. Oklahoma's going to go back to the drawing boards next year because of this performance. I think you're right, Nick. I think a lot of people, you're going to be high on Oklahoma. I think because of the performance that we'll see in the Cotton Bowl, Oklahoma's going to lose a lot of respect in the casuals' eyes because they're going to get blown out by Florida. 
That's my <laughs> that is my assumption here. I think Oklahoma is going to lose a lot of love going into the preseason because everybody will be well when they played real competition. Florida beat them by twenty. I think Oklahoma is going to be a better program than that uh, going into next year. I'm still skeptical of Oklahoma when I look at them at a national level because I don't care what you say. Playing in the Big 12 boosts their numbers out of the wazoo every year. Then they go and play in the in the see in the playoff game. They get beat by 14 plus, and then we talk about how great their offense was when they quarterback hoist the Heisman Trophy. Uh, regardless of that, I think Florida just is too good offensively, and I think Florida's defense has taken steps throughout the year that suggests that they'll be able to play with Oklahoma's offense and really put some pressure on Spencer Rattler. You know, I don't know if he's sitting out, but Brenton Cox is a name that has been obviously thrown around in the draft boards as, as a guy that could possibly lead this year. Um, and, you know, coming off the edge, their, their linebacking core has gotten better, their DBs, although this is probably the last game. I think this is Marco Wilson's last performance, and he and the last thing he wants people to remember him for is for the shoe. I think he's going to want him people to remind, be remembered for this game. Uh, their secondary, although young in other parts, is still really good. And a lot of Florida Twitter is really excited for those guys to be the main starters next year in Elam. And I can't remember the other guy's name, but Florida's going to win this game big. I'm sorry, Nick. I'm not drinking the Oklahoma Kool-Aid. I'm not an Oklahomer. That is that is one of the worst things I've ever heard you say on this podcast. You're better than Oklahomer. <laughs> it just came out. I'm sorry. And, 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 and to, to, to pun you back. <laughs> your 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 optimist your optimism on them is sooner rather than later, and so I think that you should just hold off on that <laughs> this ball game. Scott's face. Uh, yeah. Uh, these yeah. Fun, I mean, I had no idea you guys had kids. So uh, <laughs> all these dad jokes in here to wrap up the week. Well, look, that is covering all the games. Nick, did we miss anything? Are we leaving anything out here at the end? I've got some more thoughts on Oklahoma, but. No, anything. No. You know, it's a long season, so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would let, let's let's do transfer portal instead of <laughs> talking about Oklahoma. All right. So I'd rather make this a three-hour. Tanner time. Mordecai, he's off destiny. Oh my god. All right. Uh, well, that is going to wrap it up for the show today. Uh, we hope you guys obviously have a uh, great Christmas. Hope your holidays have been amazing so far. Uh, go out and win some money, like Nick said. Three and one so far. Uh, or after that last game, does that make it four and one? Uh, no, that was the third. That was the okay, that was the third. So three and one so far uh, on uh, this this bowl season and sixty uh, percent lifetime in bowls. But yeah, bowl season I, was last last year as well. So so, but I feel good about our picks. So that probably. <laughs> uh, yeah, all right. Yeah, Nick, Nick is being <laughs> and he's been amazing this season. And, and bowl season has been. Uh, one of the best for CFP Winning Edge. So uh, check it out. Win yourself some money over the holidays. And remember, you can follow us all on the Twitter at Bogman Sports for me, at CFP Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier. Uh, stay safe, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody. The CFP Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. You can support this show and help fund our 2021 off-season improvements by visiting patreon.com slash CFP Winning Edge and pledging as little as $5 per month. Thank you to all who have supported us this year, making 2020 our best season yet.